Hi, and welcome to the Restore Body Balance podcast, where we take an integrative approach combining psychology, biology, and neurology to enact life changes that stick. I'm Colleen Burns, licensed psychotherapist and founder of Restore Body Balance. And I'm Nico Yatanis, co-producer of this podcast. In today's episode, we will discuss boosting your emotional immune system. And before we get started, be sure to follow the Restore Body Balance Instagram because we'll be collecting questions from you each week. Well, Nico, I know we talk a great deal about stress, but today's episode, we will discuss how stress impacts not only our physical immune system, but our emotional immune system in terms of antidoting things that will come into our, let's say, activities of daily living that we can ward off with some simple exercises. So again, when we are stressed, we are in that fight or flight response and everything becomes a search for an immediate solution to the problem. So again, if you are firing fast and automatic, we're not really taking the time for thinking and reasoning, which we often refer to as that top-down processing. But when we're in the bottom-up of fight or flight, we are only stressed and we're only using generally bad habits, but we can develop new ones. Also, speaking of our emotional immune system, let's take our mood. If your mood is bad, let's say you're trying to eat more healthfully, you're not really doing that. You're probably reaching for the quick sugar or fat to make you feel better and drinkers drink more and distractors distract more. So, you know, the more your negative mood, the higher these responses. So what we do is look for cues. And in a moment, we'll discuss a little further how looking for cues helps in terms of self-regulation. I remember two specific things that you always say, Colleen. One of them is when we are stressed, we are probably not going home and cooking green beans. And if we are, scientists probably want to see us. And the second one is that we can either stress or digest. So can you say more about self-regulation? Yeah, Nico, self-regulation is sort of like a seesaw. If any of our listeners remember that in the parks growing up. And so breaking this self-regulation is generally based on a few factors. And again, the seesaw is like sometimes, you know, somebody goes up and then sometimes somebody goes down. So we look at a few different phrases. One would be resource depletion. So I know at the Benson Henry Institute, when I learned SMART, stress management, and resiliency training, we looked at the resource depletion in terms of your battery. So what charges your battery to enliven you and what drains your battery. We also call this the fatigue bucket in neuroscience or attentional units. We also have to look at what our temptations are in terms of self-regulation. Once we get very cued into, for example, me reaching for the fifth handful of goldfish crackers, we need to look at what are we really craving? What are we really hungry for? And of course, the cue exposure. I became very cued to why I was reaching for those 
fifth and sixth handfuls. Next, we have to look at what was going on with our mood or what I like to call mood manipulation. Sometimes we either lose our appetite or again, we crave that quick fix when we have a negative mood. So when I mention the fatigue bucket, that's that analogy we tend to mention in each episode of if our listeners could envision a glass. And if a glass is totally full to the brim, every little drop is a spillover. Or heaven forbid, you try to pick it up, you know that there's going to be, again, some overflowing happening. That's going back to that term of ego depletion. We just have no more to give. It's really a true fact that human beings have a limited amount of decision-making ability each day. So take Stephen Jobs wearing a black turtleneck each day or Mark Zuckerberg wearing his iconic gray t-shirt. They just habituate things to free up their decision-making process. That's great. And also from a marketing perspective, it gives them a signature feature that they can monetize. So for example, if Mark Zuckerberg came out with a line of gray tees, people might be inclined to want one because Mark Zuckerberg definitely knows his gray tees. (laughs) That's a great point, Nico. And sometimes freeing up that decision making has a secondary benefit. We get to use that automatic system in our brain to our advantage which is why at Restore Body Balance we combine the psychology of the mind, the biology of the body, and the neurology of the brain. Exactly, and to see more of the unique approach that we focus our programs on, you can visit us on the web at www.restorebodybalance.com. So Colleen, can you help us better understand the term automatic systems? Yes. So, again, we have to look at that habituated brain. I know we often refer to our beloved dogs with the Pavlovian response, but that's an automatic system, right? So, again, Pavlov became famous because he paired ringing a bell with feeding a dog, and eventually the dog would salivate to the inanimate object, like the bell. So, very interesting, that's a cue. So when you look at an automatic system, that's what we can either look at secondary rewards. So maybe instead of Colleen reaching for that healthy dose of (laughs) goldfish crackers, which my kids don't even eat anymore. I simply buy them for myself, but I kid myself by saying they're for them. But we want to look at at a secondary reward in terms of a healthy reward and avoiding the cues for unhealthy habits. So that's what we call aversive conditioning. And we have to look for these unhealthy cues. You know, an interesting thing that we learned when studying neurology is that You know, we learn in a few different styles. One is Pavlovian, conditioned response. Another one is uh, famous Bandura in terms of what we look at in terms of a different type of conditioning. And then there's also observational learning where we can actually model healthy habits. So for example, we tend to act and behave like the people that are around us, right? So if your friends like to go drinking in bars, you go drinking in bars. If your friends like to go to yoga, you tend to go to yoga. We tend to keep the habits of the company we keep. Yes, and here comes the pop culture reference for this episode. 
I saw a meme the other day that said, my mood is dependent on the show I'm watching at the time. And it's true. Take the show Friends, for example. It really did have such a large cultural impact that still remains. Avid fans of the show incorporated some of the catchphrases into their own vocabulary. Even the Rachel haircut that swept the nation. Oh, that's a great point. And again, take take them hanging out in the coffee shop, right? It's like, you know, you tend to, you know, uh, recapitulate the same habits of the people that you're around. So, for example, people are rewarding. And a famous neuroscientist up at Dartmouth, often when I would watch him speak at lectures, he would say something like, and it's okay to bribe a little here. What you could do is, let's say, if somebody was feeding you broccoli, maybe someone you're having a crush on or someone you, you know, see in the famous world of media and television or movies, you know, you'll tend to eat the broccoli. And then over time, it just becomes an automatic behavior. I've definitely fallen victim to that, and I'm sure some of you at home have also. And it goes both ways, Nico, right? So that might be something innocuous like adding some veggies to your diet with broccoli, but take a fear, right? So you are exposed to something or just thinking about something that is a fear-based response. Let's take COVID, for example. It drives up that automatic system. And again, I mention this all the time, it's the smoke detector analogy. Your amygdala only knows those two settings. So did you burn the toast or is your house truly on fire? Again, that's that I don't feel good, make it better. And every time we go down the rabbit's hole, I mean, this is what I do, I think, at least 10 times a day with my clients. They perseverate, they catastrophize. I mean, certainly with COVID right now, we're in a fear-based response. And so what will happen is we have to stop and breathe, take a really good inhalation. Again, heart rate speeds up on the inhalation and an exaggerated exhalation, something like this with a little noise always helps. It really does get you into that parasympathetic nervous system where we are now amenable to change. We are now amenable to look at a more rewarding type of response as opposed to the catastrophizing or fight or flight. And that's where we talk about the famous Albert Ellis who came up with a, B, C, D, E, which is your activating event. Uh, oh my God, I forgot to wash my hands when I came in the house. That was me yesterday. B, the behavior as we feverishly wash our hands for more than the 20 seconds. And then the consequence is C, which is we overthink it, overthink it, overthink it. Then I start thinking, oh gosh, I was at Mahoney's Garden Center with the cart and I forgot to wash my hands and then I put my hands in my hair and now should I go wash my hair? We could, you know, quickly go down the rabbit's hole. But D is where I ask my clients and I will hopefully educate our listeners on. D is the only thing you have to remember, which is dispute the belief. You say to yourself, you know, by and large, I'm really careful. I didn't touch my face. I just washed my hands. I'm doing the best I can. Numbers are low in Massachusetts. 
I'm pretty sure they probably disinfect the handles. And then over time, the E starts to happen, which is to bring it back online, as we like to say. It's the new emotional response, right? That's, but we have to do it over and over and over and over, and that's the habituated brain. But it brings us back to the parasympathetic nervous system of rest, digest, rest, restore, you know, all of the things we need to be doing to function optimally. So that's really important in terms of boosting our mental or emotional immune system. We could also interrupt that pattern if we have a chance, but only in that relax and restore parasympathetic nervous system. That's a great analogy too with being in the store or Mahoney's Garden Center. I was the same way the other day. I was looking for something in a store and I was I had it pulled up on my phone and then the associate touched my phone and I went through the ABCDE because I waited till she turned the corner where I had hand sanitizer in my pocket and I was spraying it like sporadically. But I did end up disputing that belief. Like it's not I did have to take a breath and I think that really does highlight how breathing interrupts the patterns and incorporating mindfulness. And it doesn't have to be an elaborate meditation, it can be as simple as the micro breaks that we mentioned in last episode. That's an excellent point. You know, I was just saying this today to somebody, the the other reason the breathing is really effective is I'm not a great yogi. I will just put that out there. I'm more of, I like to run, I like to do, you know, different activities. But once I really found myself learning different yoga poses, think about what happens because there's a lot of breath work involved, right? So the first time I did down dog, I couldn't get my legs straight. I couldn't get my heels to touch. And the instructor just kept saying day after day after day, you go up on your toes or so to speak, and then you relax into stretching them out. And over time, the breathing aligns with the body. That's the mind-body connection. And then those tight calf muscles and those tight hamstrings learn to relax, learn to relax in, again, if you're in fight or flight, short muscles get you where you need to be, but in the parasympathetic, they elongate. Just like rest and digest, all of those intestines and all everything we need shrinks up when we really need to be relaxed. So rest and digest, rest and restore, rest and relax, even rest and reproduce. They always say you're not making babies when you're running from a tiger. So everything we need in our body, we need to be doing in the parasympathetic nervous system and reducing stress, which also, as we know, compromises and makes our immune system sluggish and puts oxidative stress on our bodies and organs. And so again, we want to look to mental health and how this also, again, boosts that sort of immune system. So that's where positive expectation and cognitive reappraisal comes in, right, Colleen? That's right. And also hope, Nico. We need hope. We need something to look forward to in terms of the positive expectation. And that too, antidote stress. You actually change the brain and attach more systems. It's a real thing. It inhibits the negative into the stress-based response and suppresses the amygdala. Like we said, it's sort of like pruning back that bottom-up network. It takes practice though, and we need to interrupt that response and refocus our attention. 
which is why meditation and mindfulness is actually so important. We learn to block out intrusive thoughts when they come circling back, which they do. And so let's take an exercise here. I thought we might do something a little bit different. I know we often talk about meditation and mindfulness and everyday activities like showering, having a cup of tea or coffee, or brushing your teeth. But today I thought I would do a little exercise for our listeners. I'm not sure how this is going to come across with our recording, so we'll ask everybody to be patient. Um, So what I'm going to do is hold this beautiful Tibetan singing bowl, and I'll ask my whiz, Nico, to maybe perhaps put it on my favorites page later on this week in case our listeners want to buy one for themselves. Tibetan singing bowls can be made of various materials. The one I'll be using now is brass, and it often comes with a little wooden dowel, which I have in my hand now. Um, So the first thing we're going to do is hit it. And I want our listeners to see if they can sustain their attention from the very beginning of the sound all the way to the end, which is essentially what's called singing. So I'm going to hit it now and everybody be patient, but maybe everyone can take a nice deep breath and a long wish out. And I'll begin. And once again, I'll hit the singing bowl and try to follow it all the way to the end. How was that for you, Nico? It came across really nice over the air, and I already feel more calm. There must be something to that. I remember when I lived in LA, there was a street that was notorious for hearing Tibetan bowls, and it's Abbot Kinney Boulevard in Venice. If any of you are familiar with that area, there was a specific store that did Tibetan sound baths, and I, it kind of transported me back there. There must be some healthful benefit to it. Maybe it's the frequency. It's the frequency, and it's that sustained attention. So when I often talk about the ritual of brushing your teeth, you know, remember we have have so many teeth in our head so you know l4 is left upper four you know practice brushing each tooth and as your mind wanders i just say oh go back to brushing your teeth your mind will wander again you go back to brushing your teeth that's also creating that new neural network of sustained attention we catch ourselves going down the rabbit's hole as i often say so having tools like a tibetan singing bowl handy to be able to either start your day or end your day or take those micro breaks really helps. The other thing you can do is run the wooden dowel around the outside of the bowl and it creates an energy with sound, but it takes practice. So let me see if I can also do that for our listeners. I'll begin now.
It's really quite powerful. If any of our listeners had any acupuncture, acupressure, or Reiki done, there is literally an energy that comes off our body. And when I run the wooden doll around it, it becomes very powerful as a practice because you can actually feel the vibrations inside of you and to keep it going is also sustained attention. So I happened to get this one at a beautiful store in Rockport, Massachusetts called The Floating Lotus. But my favorite store, of course, is dharmacrafts.com. They not only source all of it mindfully, but it's all authentic. So if anybody wants that, they can check it out on the website, restorebodybalance.com. So now that we practice those two exercises, I already feel more calm and it's almost like I feel more resistant to stress. That's exactly what we're trying to do. And that was our episode on building resilience. All of these little things we mention every week, not only antidote stress, but build your emotional bandwidth, or as we're calling it, emotional immune system, right? So from a brain-based standpoint, you need to learn to filter out or even distract yourself from certain bits of information, especially cravings. Cravings, as we often say, primal brain, I don't feel good, make it better. So you're hungry and your body needs sustenance, so your stomach growls and you eat and you feel better. Or you're hot, so your body perspires, it's efficient at cooling and you feel better. But we as humans have a cerebral brain that sits on top of the primal brain and it too says, I don't feel good, make it better. So let's say you're feeling stressed. Maybe you're stressed about, um, I know I'm very stressed about the upcoming school year with my children and doing homeschool again. And quite frankly, I go for the quick carbs, which are the goldfish crackers. And then I try to go back to my computer and I get more emails about what school is going to look like. And I go back for another handful. That's craving satiation, craving satiation. Not to mention we're in this, when we're in that stress-based response, our body wants the quick carb, right? And then guess what? Let's go to the biology of the body. Once we start populating our gut with sugar in the form of sugar or carbohydrates, those little bacteria bugs need more sugar to survive. So then we actually start to really get the cravings. I kid around with that analogy with my clients all the time because we all sort of secretly get embarrassed that we keep going to the cabinet or we keep eating in that fight or flight response. But now we know what's happening. And then we just have to take it out of the simulator and find real ways to make it better. And again, we get out of that stressed, angry, anxious, depressed spiral loop. I've also fallen for the goldfish trap. I love goldfish. And another one that I also fall victim to is oyster crackers because there's virtually nothing to them. They're just salt and flour. They just get so addicting. So if we find ourselves getting into those loops, how do we get out of the loops if we feel ourselves spiraling? 
Well, we need reminders. So, for example, anybody just listening to this podcast is bringing their own awareness um, up into, you know, what they want to be looking at. Are we looking at, is it going on Instagram for distraction? Is it going to the refrigerator or grabbing a snack or doing another sort of self-sabotaging behavior that's not, let's say, balanced with what we want our lives to look like? And in order for us to re-engage what we call the salience control systems, we also need long-term goals and a reward system. And again, this goes back to the book, Prescription for Change, where I have folks write down not only their short-term goals, but if I achieve my goals, what would my life look like in five weeks, five months, five years? That's the dorsal lateral prefrontal cortex, if I'm not mistaken, that's responsible for that projection. We also have to look at the reward system, right? And again, eating broccoli if somebody, you know, famous fed it to you, or journaling. I know this is a very powerful thing, which again, full credit to Nico for designing the journal at the back of the book. We have to habituate those activities in these new positive thought patterns, or we've talked about uh, cognitive reappraisal and positive expectation, and of course, mindfulness. So for example, take eating healthy. Maybe you have a craving. That's the first step, right? Mindfulness says it's okay to crave, just don't eat it. Mindfulness helps in avoidance and overconsumption. It's actually a learned intrinsic motivation. Or like when I do motivational interviewing with a client, it's connecting their self-esteem and their reward. Let's say they wanna start a workout routine or they wanna start incorporating more you know, healthy habits or vegetables in their diet, you ask them questions like, well, what could you do? Do you have access to getting more healthy vegetables? Are there vegetables that you simply just don't like? Are there ways you could learn about preparing healthy vegetables? I mean, you know what, Nico? I fall victim to all of this as well. I'm human and I'm not perfect, but I know if I have carrots and celery and cucumbers, and yes, I do have some ranch dressing, but guess what? I was snacking on that over the weekend with friends along with cheese and crackers, but just adding the vegetables in, I found myself reaching for the vegetables and not so much the cheese. But again, you have to actually look at this, bringing it up into our awareness and connecting it to the reward system. What will I feel like? I feel better. You know, how does that make me feel in the future? Well, I'm obviously doing great things to my body by eating vegetables and not just cheese and crackers. It's really possible, listeners, I can almost promise you, but you also need to believe you're capable of change. That's a great point, Colleen. As you always say, calm your inner critic. Believing you can is the first step. It's the positive mindset that can make a difference. But going back to stress, sometimes people don't even realize that they're stressed, including myself. Sometimes you can be so deep in the loop that you might not even notice that stress is at the root of your problem. So that said, what are some symptoms people with stress might feel? That's a great question, Nico. Generally, people experience stress and then you'll notice they definitely have changes in their eating habits or changes in their cravings. They can often get headaches, maybe we're a little grouchy or we lose our temper. 
certainly we feel anxious and brain fog is a big one. Then of course there's insomnia and just plain old fatigue. Some people even would draw from life a little bit, but it helps to talk about these stressors. So now that I've brought that into the awareness of some of our listeners, maybe they can take a few minutes to feel their own feelings or have they experienced some of those symptoms. Not only do we want to find the symptoms, but then we got to backtrack and look at the cues. And not only do I want to say this over and over again, connect it to the breath. Because once we're out of fight or flight, we are amenable to change. And then we can find healthier ways to respond. This is all antidoting stress and boosting our emotional bandwidth or emotional immune system. Just recognizing you are stressed helps us to not go down the rabbit's hole. So find friends, a therapist, a family member or partner. Again, just talking about it releases that tension. And then naming the stressor helps bring it into our conscious awareness. Exactly. Sometimes venting to someone close to you or a professional therapist could help you feel better. Sometimes, even while speaking about a stressor to someone, you might even experience an epiphany that helps you get to the root of what is stressing you out. And that is an actual exercise, Nico, at the Benson Henry Institute at Mass General Hospital in concert with the Department of Psychiatry at Harvard University. They actually called it root fear. I think we talked about it once on an episode where you would say, okay, so then if that happened, what would happen? And then if that happened, what would happen? And then if that happened, what would happen? You do eventually get to the root fear, but getting to the root fear also gets you out to where do we actually need to sort of grow and reappraise and give positive expectation. And not to mention that there's something really important that we need to not forget, which is gratitude. I know in my book, I use the term abundance, but gratitude is a real thing, Nico. And as a matter of fact, a very famous, and I say this in the world of neuropsychology and neuropsychiatry, he's just a dear, dear man. His name is Dr. Daniel Amen, but not only is he a dear man, he's a very, very bright fellow, and he's helped millions of people literally change their brains and lives through his health clinics, his best-selling books, products, and even public television programs. He's one of America's leading psychiatrists and brain experts. He touts his TED Talk having said that he has looked over 7,000 brains, which is a real thing in his clinics. He's co-authored 70 professional articles and more than 30 books. And he definitely has the world's largest database of functional brain scans relating to behavior, totaling over 160,000 scans on patients from 155 countries. So listeners, this is a real thing. This isn't just psychology. This is neurology. This is your brain. So when I saw him speak at the Institute for Integrative Nutrition, he quipped that the best medicine is not Prozac, 
it's gratitude. And he asks you to write three things down each day for three weeks. And he says, you will change your brain. You will notice a significant change in how you feel and your level of happiness. That's also why I put abundance in my book. It's proven scientifically and evidence-based to make you feel better and lighter and get you out of that stress-based response. Again, antidoting stress and boosting that emotional immune system. He also, of course, mentions diet and meditation. And what he says about meditation is that you don't just calm down the zone. It's actually activating the front part of your brain, which is the most thoughtful part of your brain. Where I have the A, B, C, D, E, he uses the term ANTS, A-N-T apostrophe S, automatic negative thoughts. And he says, again, this is his quote, ant killing is simply just don't believe every stupid thought you have. He's a very funny man. Um, So question your thoughts. And when you do that, you live in a more rational world. You can change your brain and he can prove it. Dr. Amen can prove it. Just go to his website and you can make good decisions today that will improve your brain in two months. Two months is also the length it takes to accomplish all eight shifts in your book, Prescription for Change, Using Your Lifestyle as Medicine. Change isn't something that you can do overnight. It is gradual and it requires you to shift so many aspects of your life. But that way, the change sticks. So if those of you listening want to read the book on change, you can visit www.restorebodybalance.com book. Thanks, Nico. And you know what? Let's just probably wrap up the podcast by mentioning something that we all fall victim to, which is overuse of our phones and devices. Taking a break from your phone is vitally important to building that emotional bandwidth, or as we're saying, increasing your emotional immune system. Let's not forget, folks, tech companies use psychology to hack us and keep us craving, scrolling, and lingering more. And our modern brain is craving that constant connection. But is your friend's dinner really connecting you? Or could you perhaps actually social distance today and actually grab dinner with a friend or a picnic in the park or a cup of coffee socially distance outside? And you can also use your phone to actually call a friend and connect with somebody and check in on them. We're a bit codependent to our devices. An American Psychological Association 2017 report on stress in America surveyed over 3,500 American adults, and it revealed that 65% believed they, quote unquote, should periodically unplug or do a digital detox to improve their mental health. But only 18% reported doing so. And again, this has to do with our neurochemistry. We're getting a steady, constant flow of stimulation. So we get a little hip of dopamine, and then all of a sudden, a little excitement from a text or a like on your Instagram or Facebook post, and then that high doesn't really last, right, Nico? So we go back for more. And for our younger folks, if they're listening, or parents, it's also 
statistically evidence-based, proven that it's priming their brain for attentional deficit, hyperactivity disorder, or ADD, attention deficit disorder, and the comorbidity with substance use because we're just not used to sitting. We're just used to this constant stimulation. So listeners, shift your mindset. Start paying attention and access a real live current relationship. Research shows that framing this new habit in the good, in the present, like I'm taking a break, not don't pick up your phone, also helps too. So ask yourself, what do you love about your phone? And what do you not like about your phone? Or what changes have happened since you've had your phone? And that's also a craving. So when you do put your phone down, what comes up for you? Remember, we are driven to distraction with texts, alerts, banners, chats. We're never really focused on the present moment. And this will take practice, but it's really good relief to be in the present moment. And even the bad can be washed away with just feeling the feeling, feeling the craving or reliving the good, like we said, in terms of gratitude and abundance. That's a great point. And I might be biased because I will admit that I am attached to my phone at the hip. But my personal opinion is sometimes it is really hard to step away from your phone. And you don't always have to just cold turkey go off of your phone to notice results. Sometimes when I fully go off of technology for a day or so, I almost go through withdrawals where I think I hear notifications or feel a vibration. But sometimes, staying on your phone just less and shifting what you focus your attention on within your phone helps. I noticed a difference when I took a break from TikTok, for example. TikTok is really good at getting users to stay on the platform, as you could scroll infinitely, but I ended up replacing TikTok with Libby the app that connects to your local library and gives you access to virtually every ebook. And I felt much better using my phone in that way. And that's also having compassion for yourself, right, Nico? So you're saying what you need and you're creating a calmer, happier life. Believe it or not, having a sense of peace is actually more rewarding than TikTok, the goldfish crackers, or the like on Instagram. It's sustainable and it's basically dopamine hit in a different kind of way. Don't forget that when you get that little hit from an Instagram like or, you know, going to the refrigerator or snack jar, you do kind of tend to go down the rabbit's hole, right? Or working something out in your brain if you're just thinking in a, in a stress-based response. It also reduces serotonin to the brain. And that's the chemical that's linked to happiness. So when you go about your daily routines, find moments of happiness and pleasure and relive them, not the negative thoughts and feelings. Again, they are more fleeting and intense. And so we need to purposefully look for them. So find a flower, find the enjoyment in your cup of coffee. You know, if you just took time each day each hour throughout the day to wish someone happiness, it will change your life. And coupled this with hits of joy and gratitude woven together actually strengthens new neural structure in your brain that's linked to positivity. 
It's training your brain towards joy and eventually joyful thoughts and feelings. And I promise it will begin to happen effortlessly. Again, why I wrote the book on change. It's using your lifestyle as medicine. And if you sprinkle some random acts of kindness and again, the generosity, it will boost your emotional immune system. Getting out of that fatigue bucket, antidoting stress, and you know, basically giving yourself some additional attentional units. Basically, it all leads to joy. Thank you, Colleen. You've taught us a lot about our emotional health, including self-regulation and incorporating mindfulness, positive expectation, and cognitive reappraisal to boost our own emotional immune systems. And thank you to those of you listening to this episode of the Restore Body Balance podcast. To hear more about our programs and to read the book on change, once again, you can visit us online at www.restorebodybalance.com or on Instagram at Restore Body Balance. See you next week.